Welcome to the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Neil. I'm the Big Mouth Pharmacist. I'm a pretty sarcastic, slightly unprofessional healthcare professional, a holistic pharmacist here to talk about everything wellness, weed, and Woodstock. We broadcast from the most famous small town in America, where I hold court as the town's family pharmacist who tries to get people off their medicines and onto a wellness program free of the BS and misinformation of the natural products industry. Inflammation, the silent killer. With the subtitle of this webinar, Stop the Myths and Misinflammation. How funny is that? How great. I say misinformation all the time. We're going to be talking about inflammation. You put the two together and you get misinflammation. How awesome. Our normal housekeeping items are the same as ever. You can rewatch this at any time. We're going to be posting this and uh, the slides pretty shortly following the evening. Other tools and guides will be posted as we discuss. Definitely look out for tomorrow's uh, email blast, our weekly newsletter, because it's going to have an article um, that supports the information that we talked about here tonight. Um, if you have any questions, ask away. I love feedback, so check your follow-up email and that would be great. We have tons to cover because I don't know how to, you know, pace myself and, and not cram a bunch of information into a, a single topic. So who the heck is Neil? I think everybody in the room knows me. I don't see any strangers, maybe a couple. There's a couple strangers here or there. I'm a pharmacist practicing for over 15 years. I own a pharmacy in Woodstock, New York. I'm a holistic pharmacist. I've seen the power of lifestyle interventions, natural products, and traditional medications, but I know that both healthcare industries are sick, both the natural products industry and the pharmaceutical industry. So I've developed Woodstock Vitamins because we need a new path for managing and preventing disease. Uh, we've weaponized my approach, basically my obsessive rigor, to deliver better products, better advice, and better information to help you live your healthiest life. What the heck is a holistic pharmacist? Well, I made up that term, but basically is, is that as a pharmacist, you would think that my goal is to get everybody on medications and it's quite the opposite. I want people off their medications using nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep, and yes, supplements to prevent as much disease as possible. Uh, and I know the system's jacked up. I know that it's tough to go see a doctor and and uh, and be a part of that whole system, but it's it's necessary. Traditional stuff is a part of the whole picture. Uh, we can't live our best lives without all three pieces, the lifestyle, supplements, and medications. And so that's my little summary of what I think a, a holistic pharmacist is. But mostly I'm just a big mouth professional who gets a little crazy and asks some tough questions and who also probably could use some hair plugs based on this picture, huh? What? What's up with that? Um, this is our newest fun thing that we're doing. Uh, if you have listened to the podcast, I think you should let everybody know in the uh, webinar chat room how awesome it is because I think it's an awesome thing. We've only published about eight or nine episodes and they're actually turning out to be quite phenomenal. And our growth is pretty astronomical. We're actually at a point where most people are at after just a month uh, we're, we're at a month The most people would be at this point after a couple years. So we've, we've gone cre uh, quite rapidly. Please visit woodstockvitamins.com slash podcast, or pull up your phone right now and type in big mouth pharmacist podcast on, uh, any of your favorite podcasting apps, uh, subscribe to the feed and please give me a review, preferably five stars. Uh, that would be super helpful. We've got some really cool episodes coming up. We're going to talk about fandom. An NYU professor named Zoe Fraud Blenars on, and she's going to talk about uh, the cults that are developing around uh, nerdy, geeky things, but then also things like supplements and wellness. Uh, we have a social media expert. She did the first study connecting depression to social media in a causal way. So the two cause each other. We had uh, a mom on who has created the Mothers Against Drunk Driving for vaping, and we're going to talk about vaping. We have a bunch of fitness people on, and I have an internationally renowned sleep expert coming on in the future uh, to talk about sleep. So please check out that podcast. Okay, enough of the commercial. Uh, of course, this is the most important thing that you read here. I am a pharmacist, but I may not be necessarily your pharmacist, so don't do anything without first talking to your doctor. Uh, don't read uh, or believe anything on the internet. It's all lies except for what I say. Thank you. Uh, my responsibility, of course, is to be responsible. Uh, I am hoping that I will make no outrageous claims, just real practical advice around products and what the current evidence shows. In other words, no BS. 
All right, we're gonna break it down for you. I'm gonna get serious here. So today's discussion has to be highlighted because when I, I started doing this and I, I got the feedback from people out there of what they wanted to hear, I decided I'm gonna go completely against the grain because I've got, you know, mental problems. But there's a million blogs out there that talk about botanicals and anti-inflammatory compounds and I just realized that they're just filling up the page with words, telling you anything uh, that isn't really relevant to the, the 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 supplement or what it really does in your body. Um, there's no one that is going to say uh, what I'm going to say about supplements and inflammation. I want to challenge your preconceptions around inflammation, and I want to challenge the framework that the experts and the media are are uh, putting inflammation within. Um, this isn't a blog or a webinar or a, a podcast. Any information about why ginger is great for you and all of that kind of stuff, or how do I deal with uh, the inflammation in my gut? This is me teaching you how to really think about inflammation and what actions you can take that will actually matter. So today we're going to cover what inflammation is, acute versus chronic inflammation, the causes and effects of the bad guy, chronic inflammation. We're going to talk all about misinflammation, ha, ha, ha. And we're going to talk about how we can reduce inflammation in a holistic manner. So let's get started. Inflammation science, making boring stuff fun. And, and I uh, try to go a little bit harder with the sarcasm here today, guys, because this is really boring stuff. <laughs> so what is inflammation? That inflammation is just a natural response to stimuli. Um, what does that mean? Well, let's let's let Aladdin show you. What I want you guys to do at home is to to roll up your sleeve and, and scratch yourself. Just scratch yourself down on a line and then rub back and forth over it and count to five. And if you look, what you'll see is a line that is now red, it will feel warm, and it will um, uh, like swell up a little bit. And that, my friends, is inflammation. That's it. The classic signs of inflammation are redness, swelling, pain, heat, and if it gets severe enough, you can actually lose the function of whatever the tissue is that you're dealing with. Inflammation is a rapid, broad response. It's a generic response to danger. Cells in your body, all of them, have these signaling molecules. And then as soon as the cell is ruptured from like a scratch or a cut or whatever, um, it blows up. And those signals basically say, hey, man, something's wrong. Everybody get over here, clean it up, and send more help if you need it. This is all part of the innate immune system versus like the specific stuff where you're dealing with specific infectious agents. So the one thing that you know, if you've heard me talk before, is I will say the immune system is complex. Not respecting that complexity, like when people say, oh, we can boost your immune system. It does a disservice and highlights an expert, quote unquote, incompetence. It's totally okay if you, you say boosting because you haven't had a medical degree, but if you're an advisor of supplements and you're telling people that the immune system is much simpler than it is, uh, I think that you're doing something wrong. Um, inflammation being a part of the immune system is also very complex. Again, I'm trying to stay north of the specifics because it is a very uh, wonky thing to understand. So we said it's a response to stimuli. Well, what stimuli? Uh, pathogens, bacteria, fungi, viri, all of these things will um, trigger your immune response because they're going to start to destroy the tissue that they come in contact with, uh, uh, bursting out all of this crazy, uh, these chemicals. Also, uh, irritation itself. So pesticides, herbicides, environmental contaminants, smoke, allergens like pol uh, pollen, mold, and dander will all be irritants to our body and will uh, uh, contribute to and uh, signal for more inflammation. Um, also, just any sort of tissue damage, you know, if you can have any of the reasons above or you can have um, some physical injury, you break your foot, uh, you look down, your fingers missing, that would trigger an immune response. Cuts, scratches, all of that stuff will trigger immune responses. The purpose of inflammation is it's a very, very smart system. Again, we have these signalers and the purpose is, is to say, get the help here quick. Uh, the cell pops and this is kind of what happens. Booyah.
right? So I think that's a good representation because these signalers, uh, signals go everywhere. These compounds are everywhere. So it's an over response. It's, it's, a, it's going a little bit too wonky or a little too crazy to attract as much to the scene as possible. So that's why like when you get a cold and, and uh, you have all of this inflammation, it's making you super stuffed up, even though you don't really feel that sick, but your, your whole being is boogery now because of all of this kind of stuff. I just really like to watch that guy throw those things around. Um, so these signals will attempt to do a few things, eliminate the cause of the cell injury, clear out dead cells and dead tissue, and then start the repair process. So this is a good thing. The inflammation and the signalers are our body's first responders. So I want to give a little shout out to some Woodstock uh, first responders. Hey guys, how's it going? Wish you were here. And um, so inflammation is good. And I don't know if you guys have uh, heard otherwise, but a lot of people think inflammation is bad, but inflammation in general is good. How good is it? It's so good we call it cute. That's kind of a silly joke. Um, inflammation is necessary, especially the acute inflammation that happens in the first two weeks following uh, a serious uh complication, a serious challenge to our system. Uh, acute inflammation can be uh, lasting up to two weeks. And if we were able to suppress this inflammation, that would be very bad. That means that if a bacteria got in our body and we didn't have our normal inflammatory responses, there's a really good chance that that infection could get worse before our body could fix it. And a body might not even fix it. Um, some inflammation can last two to six weeks, and this is called subacute inflammation. And I threw this little joke section in for the kids out there because I know I've got lots of uh, teenagers watching. Uh, some inflammation can get a little chronic. Oh yeah, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. All right. So whatever. That's I was just doing it for the kids. Dr. Dre, of course, wrote an album called The Chronic. Uh, Snoop, he smokes marijuana occasionally. I think he partakes in the cannabis uh, art. So that's just uh, what I did there. So, but really, Take two, chronic inflammation is a prolonged inflammation. It's inflammation that takes over uh, place over months to years. But this is the key differentiator. It's not just inflammation that happens for a long time, but what happens is those cells that are present at the site of inflammation that are normally there to clean up the mess, all right, they shift. And what happens is you have a simultaneous destruction and healing of that tissue. All right, this low level inflammation becomes activated even when there's no apparent injury or disease just because there's all of this kind of complicated mess going on. So here's a great example. Uh, part of the reason why I look so tired is because I've been having a media frenzy. I saw the Avengers and Game of Thrones and like I didn't really like do this, uh, you know, without procrastinating. So uh, I figure this is a good place to put in a Game of Thrones reference. I will not spoil anything, I promise, if you haven't seen the episode. But imagine for a second that you're running Castle Winterfell, right? You have to take care of all the people that live in the castle, feed them, keep them uh, warm, but then build up your army in the event that, I don't know, a million white uh, walkers are coming your way, zombies right? Um, so the zombies attack, okay? And there's fire and bedlam and death everywhere. And you're trying to fight and you're eventually winning, uh, you know, against this uh, invader. And then all of a sudden this jerk comes along and he wakens the dead. And now you have to clean up your own dead. And it's just this horrible, horrible cycle. So a non-Game of Thrones reference, because I like uh, analogies, uh, you have a field here and we've got to... Uh, farm, I guess. I don't, I've never really done a day's worth of hard work in my life. So I guess you would have to maintain the fields, right? And do stuff there. So, uh, but imagine if you're trying to do that and there's an active war going on with all sorts of warships and bombs and everything. And, and you have to take care of your field, but not only do that, but you have to, you know, make stuff like bacon wrapped corn and, and grow strawberries in the bowls. So these are things that need to be done, but then you have all of this complicated stuff. So how do you care for your soil if all of this war is going on? So I hope that is a, a couple good analogies that are a little bit funny, but uh, the chronic inflammation then is a cycle. When unchecked, the immune system responding to the inflammatory signals will prompt white blood cells to attack nearby healthy tissues and organs. So Without addressing it properly, you can get locked into the cycle. So you have to get rid of the cause. You got to kill the Night King. You got to stop the war. If you didn't get rid of the bug, you still have exposure to like some foreign material. You have an autoimmune disease. You have this inf acute inflammation pro process that just keeps going on. Or you just have some general low-level inflammation caused by the lifestyle choices we make. You can have chronic inflammation. 
And what does chronic inflammation feel like? Well, it's not fun. Uh, all of the normal stuff, the pain and redness, if you look at your arm, it's uh, probably nice and red like mine. Um, if if you had that all over the place, you'll have body pain and fatigue, insomnia, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, GI distress, weight gain, and you'll be more susceptible for infections. And it's not like you're you're suffering alone. It's it's a big global problem. 60% of people have one chronic condition associated with inflammation. 42% of the world have more than one. And this data is five years old. Uh, it's pre predicted to escalate pretty dramatically over the next 15 years. So here's our first piece, misinflammation. So the misinflammation that's out there says that inflammation is bad. Acute inflammation is a vital part of human immunity, growth, and life in general. So no, it's not bad. That's misinflammation. Chronic inflammation is a unique, complicated situation that's associated with feeling bad and serious diseases. So here's those diseases. I try to make a pretty comprehensive list. We know the five on the left, lung disease, arthritis, allergies, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, but there's a bunch of other diseases that are associated with this. Let me drink my tea real quick, which uh, has caffeine, which is an inflammatory compound. But the tea's anti-inflammatory, so does that, what does that do? I don't even know. So do you notice how I said that? Not the stuff about the tea. I said diseases associated with chronic inflammation. That was me just a moment ago. I didn't say diseases caused by chronic inflammation. And this is another piece of misinflammation. Inflammation is the root of all disease. Do Google inflammation right now. Actually, wait till you're done with this. Uh, and you will see this as one of the top themes that is presented by most blogs on the internet in the wellness space, is that chronic diseases are caused by chronic inflammation. And that broad claim that chronic inflammation is the root of all disease is inaccurate and irresponsible, if we're being honest. Because it's a chicken or the egg scenario. Uh, elevated inflammatory factors, among other things, uh, things, seem to be a risk factor for chronic diseases. But what causes the inflammation in the first place? So if we look at this, take a step back and we say, if you're a diabetic, will you have chronic inflammation? And the answer is yes. Does chronic inflammation cause diabetes? Maybe. And it's leaning towards yes. But we have no real definitive stuff right now where we can say, all diseases or big diseases are caused directly by inflammation alone. So the scientific footing of cause and effect isn't sound at all. There's great leaps being made to connect it to, but the chronic diseases that we are wor worried about here are multifactorial. Inflammation from unmanaged risks, sure, will contribute to the worsening conditions, but it's not the sole factor. It's not just because you have allergies that all of a sudden you get diabetes. So don't look to oversimplify this like the media does. When somebody says, Chronic inflammation is bad, that is true, but all inflammation is not bad. When somebody says that chronic inflammation causes all diseases, that is not accurate. The fight to fix chronic inflammation takes place on many fronts. So Neil, I have all of those symptoms that you said chronic uh, inflammation is, and then I even have a couple of those diseases. I have diabetes and cardiovascular disease. I feel tired all the time. Can I get a test to see if I have chronic inflammation and see how bad it is? Um, so don't waste your time on the test. If you've got all those symptoms, yeah, you probably have chronic inflammation. But yes, there are tests. Uh, you can test for specific inflammatory mediators, homocysteine technically, fibrinogen, and then all of these three-letter acronyms, TLAs, right? CRP is the most one, C-reactive protein. But then there's like this stuff, SPE and SAA and TNF and IL-1 and IL-6 and IL-8 clean up on aisle seven. <laughs> uh, but all of these things are things that you can check for, but a little bit of misinflammation. You don't need a test to determine if you have chronic inflammation. And even if you did, how helpful would it really be? We should not test for inflammation on a general 
uh, standpoint. So all of the people listening to this, we shouldn't really run out there and ask for a test because what is the test going to tell you? This is the important thing to remember when you talk about diagnostics. It's gonna tell you that your inflammatory markers are up, but is that a result of a chronic thing or is that just because of an acute inflama uh, inflammation attack right now? Am I sick? Is there pollen? Am I injured inside or out? Am I dehydrated? Like what are the things that are going on that could be, uh, this test could actually be telling us and can we differentiate between those? Some of those tests are standardized, some are not. That means that like it's just kind of willy nilly of, uh, like if this is high or low or whatever and most are stupid expensive. A and really the important thing is if you test, how does that change how you will behave? The, the, the big thing here is that if you, you, you're doing diagnostics, you want to change your life to hopefully make those tests better. You get an F on your math test, you better start doing your math homework. Uh, so if your blood sugar is 400, you're gonna wanna start changing your diet to get your blood sugar to the regular levels. Um, so if your inflammatory markers are up, are you gonna eat better? Why wouldn't you just eat better anyway? right? Uh, and the most important thing I think is what's the impact of a false negative? So what if you get a test and it says you have no inflammation, but there's all of these things in your life that are contributing to potential chronic inflammation. So these are very, very important considerations for everybody. So just a little added bit of content here. I want you all to watch for the charlatan's tricks. And this is what it pretty much sounds like. I've got the secret. No, you don't. You don't have any secrets. There's no secrets. Get my consultation, 750 bucks later, take this test. It's a special test. It, they'll charge you 500 bucks, your insurance won't cover it, because, and the, the because the test isn't real and it doesn't really tell you anything. And then of course, buy these 10 supplements because you need 10 all at once uh, and you just spend 350 bucks and you get expensive urine. And one of the things I always like to tell people, if, if you're going to a practitioner who uh, is talking about how the, the big medical complex is such an uh, evil thing, and, and you know, if you're so natural and, and you're anti-establishment, why do you act like a doctor? You know, why, why do you have all these credentials? Why are you doing all of these uh, things in the same manner that a doctor would be doing, uh, especially when you're, you're not a doctor, you know? So we know that there is a relationship between chronic inflammation and disease. The real big question mark is, is it a cause or effect or are they just kind of linked together? Um, I hope you're thinking, uh, because this is kind of blurry here, well, what are the things that I can do to help reduce chronic inflammation? Are there risk factors that contribute to chronic inflammation? And I'm glad you asked, because there are. Chronic inflammation risk factors, getting to the low saturated fat, non-deli meat of the discussion. So here's a Neil quote for you. Chronic inflammation is an undesired, complex immune response that's a result of many factors, all of which have to be managed or eliminated to break this unhealthy cycle. Here are the risk factors for chronic inflammation. Diet, age, obesity, smoking and exposure to chemicals or triggers, low sex hormones, sleep and stress disorders. Um, does this sound familiar? Because it should. I think I've seen all of you in my, um, my webinars before and at the Leaky Gut webinar, this is all the stuff that was covered. These are the same risk factors that we talked about. Um, specifically for age with chronic inflammation, is it because our body is degrading more quickly or is it because we've had so much more time to build up these oxidative inflammatory components in our body? We don't know. But otherwise, let's dig into each one of these things that are, are making inflammation worse. We know nutrition will contribute to the inflammatory picture of your body. Eating inflama inflammatory foods themselves is a major problem for most Americans. We're eating unhealthy fats, lots and lots of refined sugar. We just eat processed packaged junk food. Uh, we're not eating enough of the anti-inflammatory foods and we're not eating enough antioxidants. Oxidation is the cellular damage that increases inflammation and it's a normal balance. Just like inflammation, we need uh, oxidation, we need antioxidants. If we're not eating enough antioxidant-rich foods, we have an overabundance of that oxidation that causes damage at the microscopic level that increases inflammation. 
Inflammatory foods are foods that have been shown to trigger inflammatory responses in the body and chronic intake will lead to chronic inflammation. And this list again, back from the leaky gut webinar, when we were talking about things that make your gut go, this is them, uh, sugar, high fructose corn syrup, saturated fats, trans fats. One of the big thing is omega-6. We get way too much omega-6. The ratio should be near four to one. We're almost like over 17 to one. We're getting too much omega-6 bad sources of fat. The the excess intake of omega-6 actually will stop any of the advantageous um, benefits of omega-3. So that's something very important to consider is, is that you could be getting omega-3s in your diet, but because you're getting so much omega-6, that omega-3 benefit is getting completely wiped away. Any of the refined carbs like white bread, I mean, this is the real reason why we're fat. And as we said before, obesity is a risk factor for chronic uh, uh, inflammation. And MSG, of course, is one of the biggest compounds that uh, activates inflammatory pathways and can affect liver health. Um, again, the list here is pretty simple. It's all the gross stuff that you're not supposed to eat, but it's awesome to, to, uh, to eat because it's like super addicting. Uh, white bread, pasta, French fries, fried food, sugar, soda, artificial sweeteners, red meat in excess. Of course, we want to maintain a low level of that. Margarine and the fake butters contains all that saturated fats and frankenfoods and same thing with the vegetable oils that are mostly chemical and less vegetable anymore. Uh, deli meats, as I said, contain AGEs, which are inflammatory inflammatory and processed packaged foods will contain one or more of all of these things that we just talked about. I'm going to read this question because it's relevant. It's not good. Is it not good to eat hearts of hemp or ground flaxseed because they have both omega-6s as well as omega-3s? Tracy, great question. So she is asking, is it uh, is flaxseed or hemp good to eat because of the omega-6 content? So flaxseed and hemp are great fibers. Okay, um, I would not be using them for their omega-3 and omega-6 content. Um, we did a great article on flax on our website at woodstockvitamins.com. Just type flax at the, at the top and the first entry should be our blog article. And essentially what we need to know is that the omega-3s that are found in these compounds are actually precursors to the active ingredients and aren't reliably converted over into the um, uh, these, those end compounds, EPA and DHA. So while they have precursor omega-3s, uh, it's not really very helpful. And then the other thing is, is that uh, flaxseed can go rancid. Flaxseed has uh, compounds that can mess with your hormones a little bit. So it's good to limit the amount of flax that you're getting, grind it yourself if you can to prevent the rancidity and use it not from a uh, omega-6, omega-3 standpoint, but use it instead from a fiber standpoint. Anti-inflammatory foods are the healthy ones, the ones rich in greens, reds, and blues, tomatoes, avocado, olive oil, green leafy vegetables, broccoli, nuts, fatty fish, and fruits, especially blueberries, berries, and pineapples. I tell people you should be eating fish and blueberries every single day. Those are two things, that and a, a nice salad. Uh, three things that incorporated into your diet will, will go take you very, very far. So this, of course, is a great summary slide, a screenshot, or if you want, uh, again, tomorrow, I'm going to have this kind of simplified uh, for everybody to see. This is what you should be doing with inflammation and what you should not be doing with foods that can potentially be contributing to your in inflammatory process in the body. Now, dehydration is another risk factor, another nutrition uh, piece. Um, what happens when you get dry skin? Redness? Pain? swelling, inflammation, and that's happening where you can see it. Now imagine what's happening on the inside of your body because of dehydration. So we have this inflammatory process that gets escalated when we are dehydrated. Water's a lubricant. Our connective tissue and joints are mostly water. So when you have joints rubbing against each other and, and you're dehydrated, you're going to start stripping away that lubrication in between the joints. Too little water will have, lead to tissue damage, which will then lead to inflammation. And then water's an irrigant. So if you have all these gross things, we need to be drinking water to kind of flush everything through and keep that whole um, cycle moving. It, it allows the easy transport of the inflammatory and immune cells in and out of the area. So drink up. And this is how you maintain hydration. Drink half your body weight in ounces with a minimum of 64 ounces. 
add in any losses from exercise. A lot of people don't think of this, but when you're exercising, especially um, like on a bike or like running or even swimming, you're going to be losing between one and four liters per hour that you work out. And this is part of the reason why some old guys are uh, walking around naked for some reason in, in the bathroom. They're weighing themselves before and after their workout to see what the weight change was. And that is normally due to water weight in that short amount of time. And then they would know how much they need to drink to make up for that loss. And then, of course, add about eight ounces for each serving of caffeine and alcohol because those are dehydrating things. Um, again, on the blog, we have a hydration and cramps article that talks more about all of this. Sleep is connected to inflammation in a major, major way, and, and it actually goes back and forth. Good sleep helps us clear up inflammation, and inflammation prevents us from getting good sleep. Uh, not all inflammation, of course, is bad. Inflammatory components, the specifically these things called cytokines, are directly involved in inducing sleep. So we wrote an article about this as well. We have lots of good information about how to get good sleep. Uh, and again, that future podcast episode is going to be killer. But uh, having good sleep will help you, your body clear up the inflammation. And um, if you treat inflammation, you'll get better sleep. So it just feeds itself. Obesity. Unfortunately, fat cells, like the ones I've got on me right now, uh, are releasing a steady, low-grade level of those cytokines, inflammatory signalers. Uh, the higher the weight, the higher the release. So inflammation uh, then also has some sort of role in insulin resistance, which makes the whole thing worse. So in order to get around this, lose weight via a healthy diet, get rid of those fat cells, and you will reduce the uh, this inflammation source that's leading to chronic inflammation and, and all of these different diseases. Stress is a big one. Stress like inflammation is good and can be needed. Like if you have a bear or your mother-in-law is coming over and you have that fight or flight response that you need. Uh, but constant stress can lead to an elevated cortisol level and cortisol at a high level can start to suppress your immune response and, and, and hinder healthy inflammation. Um, so it's important to know that being stressed can lead to tissue breakdown. So managing your stress in a, in a healthy way, we talk about meditation and mindfulness, but there are other stressors. So like nutritional stress, if you're not eating enough, uh, psychological stress, the stuff that we, we're, we're normally dealing with, but physical stress. I'm taking a medicine that's causing stress in my body or, or it's, uh, it's uh, causing some sort of physical harm. So all of these things need to be modified. And exercise, moderate exercises produces anti-inflammatory compounds and, and you don't have to do a lot. It's just 20 minutes of fast walking and you're starting to produce anti-inflammatory compounds, not intense at all, which is good for guys like me. But on the other hand, elite athletes can, uh, athletes can have increased inflammatory markers, i.e. marathon runners. And I personally believe that it's too far to run. And I'm going to throw in a joke here, everybody. Uh, my friend uh, that I grew up with is a stand-up comedian, and I totally uh, stole this with his permission because the next section after this gets a little heavy. So ready for the joke? This is courtesy of Mike Spears. He said, I asked my runner friend why he wore Band-Aids on his nipples. He said it prevents chafing, which can lead to severe nipple bleeding. Then completely serious, he said, you've never run so far that your nipples bled? I've said, I've never run so far that I couldn't see where I started from. And that's how I feel about people that run so far. I, I can't do that kind of stuff. So thank you. Visit MikeSpears.com. Very, very funny dude. He's so funny that his website, I think, still sells CDs. So that, it takes a really funny guy to sell CDs in this day and age. I'm just kidding, Mike. Um, treating inflammation. Let's get into it. This is me building a case and uh, it's going to a point and I want you to sit and ride with me because this is this is really what I'm, I'm getting to here with my inflammation talk. So uh, you've heard me speak, most of you. Um, the natural versus traditional thing is a false dichotomy. I believe consumers are being misled by the natural products industry. They paint themselves as different from the traditional medical establishment. I believe they're the same. And that isn't a good or bad thing. It just is what it is. So with that being said, let's look at drugs versus supplements. Okay. We are, put simply, a complex set of reactions. Breaks in those reactions are the attack points for our therapies. All medicine, natural and traditional, have only those attack points that they can use. What do I mean by that? Well, let's pretend that your body is a high school hallway. Uh, there are a limited number of doors that you can go in. 
okay? Uh, the doors are your different body system or different cell types. It's not like a drug or an herb uh, that's trying to get into the different classrooms is going to blow a hole in the wall. They are both going to be using the same set of doors that are there. So whether it's your body's natural compounds, drugs, or natural products that you buy at the supplement store, they're all going to be using the same pathways. So it's not like supplements are some novel, unique thing. They're going to be working just like drugs do. Drugs and supplements then are the keys. Some keys will open a very specific door, which is what we call the desired effect or the therapeutic effect. Your target, you're going to have a key that opens the door that you want. But some keys will open that door and others. And we often call that a side effect. So if you start interacting with a body system or a cell type that you don't really want to, you get a side effect. That's why when you, you start taking a, a one medication and it causes a cough, that's an undesired effect because it's a key that is opening up two doors instead of just the one. Um, in fact, most keys act like that. Most drugs, most supplements won't work on one thing. In fact, first day of class, first uh, semester, freshman year of pharmacy college, my biology professor said there are three uh, rules to drugs. Uh, and one of them was drugs don't do one thing. And that's probably the, the best lesson that stuck with me is to understand that there is no black and white here, whether it's a supplement or a drug, they're not going to work on just one thing because our bodies are this complex mesh network. And it's an important thing to understand. Again, I'm building to something. So keep riding here. So, so what's the difference then between drugs and supplements? And in general, again, I'm oversimplifying things, but older drugs and supplements are similar. And what I mean by that is that older supplements and older, uh, older drugs and supplements are those keys that work on multiple doors. So they're less refined. So they may have more side effect risk because of all the different body systems that they work on. Supplements tend to be weak if we were to compare their relative potency. If there are a drug that opens up one door and a supplement that opens up one door, those doors being heavy, the drug has no problem opening the door or it may have a little bit of a struggle, but not too big of a deal. But supplements really have to push or pull on that door to get them open all the way. So from a misinflammation standpoint, there are natural, uh, there are people that say natural anti-inflammatory compounds are safer, especially when compared to medications. And this is where I'm going with this, is that people believe this bit of misinflammation. Natural anti-inflammatory compounds are going to interact with the same pathways that traditional anti-inflammatory compounds like drugs will. Uh, natural products are often less potent or weaker than their drug counterparts. And because they're not studied as much, their side effect profiles are largely unknown and often downplayed. So here's a Neil quote for you. We're too quick to downplay the side effects and risks associated with natural products. We must measure the risks and benefits of any therapy using the best available data in an honest and objective way whether the product is natural or traditional. So we have to give everybody equal uh, uh, beatdowns, I would say. That's probably the easiest way to say that. So when we're talking about anti-inflammatory and treating inflammation using a physical compound, whether it's a natural supplement or a drug, let's start out with the drugs because we know so much about them. They've been extensively studied for like 60 years at this point. So at the cellular level, inflammation is created by that glitter bomb signalers being released. And those, those glitter bomb signals can be reduced by two major pathways, shutting down the production of the glitter and then turning off the guy flicking it in the air. Okay, so the COX uh, in, uh, enzymes, prostaglandin cytokines, get rid of those, or the NFKB system. Uh, those are the two major pathways. Again, I'm trying to not get into the geeky stuff of this. The medicines, though, and the supplements will use these same pathways to reduce the inflammatory uh, processes in the body. So anti-inflammatory medications, here's a, a pretty short list, but I wanted to include some of these things just so everybody knows where we're at. Steroids, uh, we know that those will reduce inflammation. In fact, anybody that gets poison ivy knows that very well, that it reduces the redness and the itching and the swelling that happens from that widespread uh, rash caused by that uh, wonderful oil. Uh, Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs like Advil and Aleve uh, are anti-inflammatory medications. That's It's in their name. 
but other drugs, two of them treating chronic illnesses, we've talked about metformin and uh, statin drugs, both have inflammatory, uh, anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, it's a very, very important uh, thing. Um, the other thing that we have is we have drugs that actually just suppress the immune system and typically inflammation is a big part of that and that includes the new biological type uh, medication. So we know a lot about this from these medications. Uh, one of the things that I like to talk about is the uh, idea of inflammation and pain, because pain is really only a perception. It's only how we feel about the pain. Uh, pain uh, is signaled by those same mediators that um, uh, get released to uh, attract all of those other cells to the site of the tissue damage. Uh, the tissue damage will lead to the inflammation. And then uh, because you're reusing these joints over and over again, typically, they won't be able to heal. So you'll have this chronic inflammation, so this chronic release of pain signalers, okay? And so having all of this pain signalers uh, will um, be constantly sending uh, messages of, ow, this hurts. And that makes sense, I would assume, for everybody. But when you're using a medication for its anti-inflammatory benefit, is it really reducing inflammation in this situation? Or is it just changing how I feel about the pain? Because you can block and you can reduce the pain portion um, and still have inflammation present. And let me explain that a little bit. NSAIDs will reduce pain and inflammation both together because of how they work. Advil does that. Uh, in fact, most people will say, I want Advil because it's got the anti-inflammatory benefit. I don't want to take Tylenol, which does not. Uh, pain reduction happens within hours, but this is something a lot of people don't understand. The anti-inflammatory component takes regular use for up to two weeks before it begins. So we look to anti-inflammatory drugs to help out with achy, breaky joints, but we're not really getting that anti-inflammatory benefit. We're just getting the pain modulation benefit from there because it's in that same kind of jumbled system. And this is the case with other anti-inflammatory compounds. They require repeated use in order for that to be beneficial. So a single dose of Advil, turmeric, ginger, it doesn't reduce inflammation. Continuous use does. So now we're at a place where it's like these things will do the same thing. These drugs and these supplements work on the same pathways. And in order to get that anti-inflammatory benefit, we have to take it every single day. So uh, that makes sense. Let's take it on the regular to reduce the inflammation and help with the disease. But here's the thing. We don't know if these anti-inflammatory compounds are going to treat inflammation in that way. So just because you take an anti-inflammatory drug and you're reducing the chronic inflammation, uh, the markers of inflammation, does are we stopping the disease in its track? Are we reducing chronic inflammation? Or is it just the markers going down? And that answer that you will get is very specific to the condition. There's no generalizations here, okay? So using um, an anti-inflammatory drug on a chronic basis may change the inflammatory signalers that are out there, but it might not necessarily impact the disease in any way. All right, so I want to bring NSAIDs out because a lot of people hate medications anyway. Um, so let's talk about the downsides of continuous use of anti-inflammatory drugs. If I said to you all right now, I want you to take Advil every single day at a high dose, what would you say? And I would hope that you would say no because of the problems. We know that the dose and duration of therapy can increase your risk for serious side effects. Uh, drugs that affect these inflammation pathways have those same risks. So if you have uh, an NSAID and you know that it causes these side effects, anything else that will go down that path will probably cause those same side effects. And in in the case of NSAIDs, again, I'm pointing out the bad sides. I'm not saying that they're not needed or, or you shouldn't be using them. What I'm saying is, is that NSAIDs can cause gut ulcers. They can cause bleeding. They can cause kidney disease. They can reduce wound healing and heart attacks. And the reason we know that is because they've been studied comprehensively. Um, NSAID do this on uh, a more frequent basis because they're more potent than other things out there. So here's some food for thought. If all these compounds, natural and traditional, are working on the exact same pathways, aren't they really the same thing? 
wouldn't the positives of the therapies be equal if we gave equal amounts? So if, if we're saying that NSAIDs will reduce inflammation and for some reason we find out that that reduces the chronic disease, couldn't we do use something that's equal working on those same pathways to get that same uh, effect? We would assume so, right? But then wouldn't all the negatives be equal too? And again, the reason that I say this, I'm working towards one point. Before we swallow the info they put out there about natural anti-inflammatory compounds being okay to use in the long term, let's be honest about what we're chewing on. Because here's the fear. This is where we're going with inflammation. Right here, this slide. We use supplement forms of plants to reduce inflammation, thinking that they're safer. We're more likely to use them longer and even push the envelope of dosing. In reality, the risks are quite possibly the same as with traditional medicine, especially with continued use or higher doses. And here's the point, non-judicial use of natural anti-inflammatory supplements, specifically turmeric, I'm looking at you, will be our next oopsie moment in science. People are taking way too much of these things, thinking that they're anti-inflammatory and that means good and they're safe because they're a supplement, but that's not the case because they're all gonna be working on the same systems in the body and therefore could potentially have all of the same risks with high dose continuous use. Boom, mind blown. Right. So if I was a blog writer, I would have written about turmeric and frankincense and ginger and all these anti-inflammatory compounds. And here they are for you to see them because you should know what these anti-inflammatory supplements are. I'm just saying take pause before you use them every single day without thinking about these risks. There are small bits of data that say that these same things work on the same pathways as traditional medicines. They reduce markers of inflammation, and there's lots of data to support uh, that these supplements work in that way. But is there any clinically relevant improvement of the severity of any of these chronic diseases? Is there a reduction of life-threatening events? We should be asking the same thing of any prescription we take. Right? I'm not just beating up supplements here. I'm telling you anything that we talk about, this is what we need to be thinking about. So the big question, are we wasting our time and are we exposing ourselves to risk by using these things non-judiciously? The shortcuts never work. Long-term use of medications and supplements are shortcuts. I told you as a holistic pharmacist, I care about bigger stuff than supplements and drugs. No amount of ginger tea will overcome a high saturated fat diet, excess body fat, poor sleep, not eating any fruits and vegetables. Don't let them sell you shortcuts. Know that there's work to be done and know that the work is simple, but not easy. It takes a lot of uh, determination and diligence to get this done. And I will happily support anyone in doing the real work of wellness. I'll be your cheerleader. So here's my take on anti-inflammatory supplements in a nutshell. The short-term use of the ones that actually do something like turmeric and boswellia, fine, go right ahead and use it. But avoid the aspirin-like compounds like white willow bark. Aspirin, if it came out today, wouldn't be an anti-inflammatory drug. It would be marketed as a blood thinner because that's really what the more profound uh, impact is there. Don't supplement with those weak things like resveratrol and pycnogenol and the other less active anti-inflammatory supplements. You're just wasting your money, right? If somebody comes in and they're morbidly obese and said, I heard that resveratrol uh, helps with inflammation, what should I say to them? What's the most responsible thing to say? I can say technically, yes, resveratrol has anti-inflammatory properties whether or not that relates to anything and whether or not that's really gonna overcome what you've got going on, I don't, I don't think so. Instead, I would like it if you incorporated all of these anti-inflammatory compounds into your diet via their food sources. So instead of taking a ginger supplement, put ginger in your food, eat turmeric, cayenne, sage, green tea, incorporate that into your day as a, in modern amounts as a part of a varied diet. They're delicious uh, and they're foods that we don't normally get exposed to. And this is a Neil quote of all years is, I have a problem following rules and I wanna be different. So that's why I, I came to this conclusion. So 
when we talk about inflammation, when we talk about the anti-inflammatory journey, I think I've set up a pretty clear roadmap for how we do that and what we need to be careful of, especially in the world of misinformation as it's presented to us today. So we have to manage or eliminate risk factors that will contribute to this chronic inflammation problem. Diet, exercise, stress management, sleep, environmental control and quality. What's your air like? What's your water supply like? Take fewer, better supplements on a short-term basis and manage the diseases and risks with traditional medicines where appropriate. Now listen, it's not like I'm tooting my own horn, but this sounds kind of familiar to me. Oh, it's the wellness pyramid. So more validation that this methodology that we've come up with here at Woodstock Vitamins is the key to living your best holistic life. If you look on the bottom, foundational, things that need to be done first are those things. Managing the risk, living your best life begins with the best diet, exercise, stress, sleep, and all of that stuff. And then you can reach for supplements and try them, but there are some supplements that everybody would benefit from because our diets aren't perfect. And then if we've tried all of those things, we need to be uh, okay with accepting medical help uh, and to help us manage and treat diseases. So this full process together is what this, the real secret is, the, 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 the worst kept secret to, to treating inflammation and preventing chronic uh, inflammation is this here. So the vital five, of course, the five most important supplements that uh, nutrients that everybody should use. Omega-3, uh, definitely. We need high dose EPA and DHA to make up for our omega-6 intake. Probiotics will help reduce uh, gastric inflammation and keep your micro microbiome intact. Uh, calcium and bone support, technically, the big thing is, is that vitamin D uh, below normal may have an uh, effect on inflammation and how we manage inflammation. So getting that vitamin D level correct is important. And Proteins for the win here, uh, it's a good nutrient, but of course collagen, we don't get enough of that and collagen congregates around the joints and, and, and the co connective tissue. So it will actually reduce symptoms of pain and inflammation in a lot of people. This is where we start people off with is fish oil and collagen when they tell me that they have joint pain. Uh, micronutrients, yes, if you look online again, you'll see vitamin A and vitamin K and all these different nutrients have an impact on inflammation. What's clinically, clinically clinically relevant is that um, you need to throw away your multivitamin and instead use whole food green supplements if needed and and supplements rich in antioxidants like our vital greens and reds it's a it's a high dose of fruits and vegetables but I, again i would prefer you to get this stuff from your diet if you can but many of us cannot um, here's a bonus because a lot of people ask about cbd now um, cbd and its role in inflammation uh, maybe probably. Um, but again, what does that really mean in the disease management standpoint? And should we be using that early um, instead of all these lifestyle choices? I would say that our goal here is to use CBD to help with the pain component of joint damage or inflammation. And we need to find out exactly which cannabinoids, uh, like the terpenes, the essential oils, or the CBD itself, or THC, and what ratios need to be in there to have any impact on the inflammation and what that means for us uh, as uh, humans, you know? So, boop, boop, boop. Um, so the concluding thoughts here, uh, I think we've hit on some important points, and I hope, again, this was a unique perspective around inflammation, something of value that you may not hear other places, but your goal should not be no inflammation. That's a silly goal. You should be hyper-focused on managing risk factors that contribute to chronic inflammation, the bad inflammation. You want to supplement with compounds that have anti-inflammatory benefits, but do so only in the short term. These compounds are best incorporated to your nutrition as healthy foods. And because we're so complex, we're very dynamic, we're complicated. There's no one answer, but instead multiple proven strategies that work in synergy to help you live your best life. And so misinflammation, that's me, uh, would love to help uh, anti your inflammatory. So if you have any vitamin, multivitamin, or wellness-related question, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm available. Uh, here's the phone number. My email direct is neil, N-E-A-L, at woodstockvitamins.com. And you can go to www.woodstockvitamins.com and even click on the chat link, and it goes right to my phone. So I hope you learned a lot. I do have some supplement recommendations for you. And if you visit right now, 
now, uh, before midnight tonight, you will get 15% off any of the supplements that are in this collection. Um, anything missing, let me know. There won't be 15% off CBD because, come on, give me a break. I, I give you guys discounts enough on that. But any of the um, and, uh, and supplements that we mentioned here, if you go to woodstockvitamins.com slash flameoff and use the code flameoff15, you will get uh, a 15% rebate on your um, uh, 15% discount on your products. So I hope to have you join me again. I am going to switch now to the question and answer session. I'm going to slide up here, and here we are. Um, so please ask me uh, lots and lots of questions. I'm going to hang out for quite a bit. So um, here we go. There's Neil. There I am. All right, so Tracy's got a question, and the question is, is does eating collagen uh, build collagen in the body? I thought once it was digested and broken down, it wouldn't. And this is a, a bit of contention, and what I have found when I've looked at it is that most importantly, um, the gut cells are going to be the first to take up these partially digested collagen peptides. So they will utilize those compounds. But yes, once um, any protein is absorbed in the bloodstream, it starts to get uh, broken down and turned into the, the building blocks for building other um, uh, collagen molecules or other proteins in general. But because it's so rich in these unique structures, um, there seems to be uh, clinical data that says um, you will re reduce inflammation, at least the experience of inflammation from the pain in joints. Um, there's data around athletes and there's data around uh, lay people using collagen, uh, not only for their gut health stuff, but then also for their joint health. So um, so you're right, when we digest stuff, it turns into little kibbles and bits that's used to make other uh, things in the body. But it seems that there is a benefit to ingesting collagen over just plain protein. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the compliments. Yep, and that's kind of what I want to do. I want to make sure that everybody's really thinking here because it's very easy to get sucked in to the black hole of anti-inflammatory fever. It's a new oversimplification of something that's complex that we don't understand. And to be honest, there's no real data that says that eating like you uh, like I'm suggesting will um, reduce inflammation, and that's what makes you healthier. This is a it probably has something to do with that, but these recommendations fall in line with general health anyway. It's a very, very complex system, and I just want you guys to be aware of all the craziness that's out there. So better for my arthritis to take a collagen supplement than Woodstock's turmeric supplement. You can use our turmeric supplement because it's it's one of the best raw materials out there, and um, it's the BCM95 form, so you're going to be getting a full-spectrum turmeric. You're going to be getting a clean product because I'm uh, checking them uh, quite uh, strictly every time that they uh, send us a new lot. And then the other thing is that it helps with pain. It can reduce pain. But using that on a long-term basis, so six months or more, may not be the wisest thing. So it may be smart to take some time off and make sure that you understand that it's working on those same pathways that traditional NSAIDs will. So we have to be uh, uh, concerned about our heart health, our kidney health, our stomach health, all of that stuff um, is still at risk. So collagen, um, it, I guess the, the different question that you're asking is what's the batting order? If I have joint pain, uh, which may be an inflammatory thing, what can I do from a nutritional standpoint? So let's assume that we've taken care of all of the things on the bottom of the pyramid, the diet, lifestyle, stress, exercise, environmental controls, all of that stuff, we move next into the vital five. So again, omega-3 at that real uh, concentrated dose, that's what the clinical data is showing. And then the next thing being collagen. Collagen um, uh, has, again, those trials supporting its use for uh, supporting joint health uh, best and correcting vitamin D, of course, and getting more antioxidants. And then we move to that next tier, which is, okay, I still have the pain. I'm doing all those great things, but I still have a little bit of breakthrough pain. Are there natural options before I have to go to prescription options? Yes, there are. Turmeric, CBD, those are the two that I kind of lean on the most because of all the great stuff that's come out about them. Joan says, giving us a little uh, example, she has diabetes and another uh, uh, coscochondritis. I'm sorry, I can't read it from here. Uh, and she's been in pain for years. And, and, and right, so you have these diseases that are keeping you in an inflammatory state, all of the risk factors in our life that could be producing inflammation. So it, it's no, and no wonder why you have joint pain uh, or just general pain because of the 
constant secretion of inflammatory mediators, which also mediate pain sensation. Um, so overused turmeric um, is, I would define it as going over the currently uh, current recommended doses, I think like 1500 milligrams of the turmeric extract is really the most that people should be doing on a daily basis and uh, using it on a long-term basis. So using it for more than six months and some practitioners will even say, like real practitioners will even say, keeping supplement use to just a couple weeks at a time and anything more really should be brought to your doctor's attention. Uh, Thelma, good question. Is inflammation in the arteries different from other inflammation and how do you treat it? So inflammation in the arteries um, is not any different. It is the same kind of thing. Essentially, oxidative compounds, typically high blood sugar or cholesterol, like bad cholesterol, will um, start to destroy at the cellular level, the inside of the tube. So we start to like put little microscopic cuts in there. And what happens? Inflammation happens because of the glitter bomb. So we have inflammation and uh, again, this chronic um, destruction and repair in these uh, vasculatures uh, along with the deposition of like hardening materials like calcium and from all these other factors start to make this inflammation that's happening in the blood vessels turn into a hardening of the arteries so they're less flexible. And so that is uh, very much the same thing and is very much tied to that risk management that we talked about. So by having chronic inflammation in the body and having um, all of these uh, risk factors like cholesterol and um, bad diets and, and all of this stuff increases our risk for having stuff like hardening of the arteries. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you for the compliment, Tracy. And Jim's got a question. I'm assuming that swelling from a trigger figure is a manifestation of inflammation. They're the most obvious signs that something is wrong. Treating this long-term is not much help for relief of the symptoms, right? So if you have something like trigger figures, and then you have almost like uh, what's become like a genetic um, or um, uh, like physical change to the area. And so, yeah, so using the traditional anti-inflammatory drugs to give you some sort of relief is part of it. But uh, what else can we do to help blunt the chronic inflammation that's happening? And that's risk management. So, you know, are there other things that are going on in your life that could be contributing to the inflammation that you're feeling in the finger? So again, you know, somebody comes in with knee pain the, the thought process isn't just to look at the knee, it's to look at the whole person. Are they uh, in shape? Are they exercising? Are they sleeping? Are they managing their stress? Are they eating correctly? Are they, are they managing any other diseases that might be causing this inflammatory stuff? So you can see the theme comes up over and over and over again. So what do I recommend for ulcerative colitis? So that's a pretty, pretty big question, um, but definitely dietary modifications are uh, in order, um, reducing the inflammation. So this is a condition where the inflammation is so bad, the entire area is inflamed and then you have malabsorption and, and it can lead to all sorts of different problems uh, from a nutritional standpoint. So, you know, reducing that inflammation and it may require using some of those medications that are delivering those anti-inflammatory drugs directly to the, the large intestine, uh, the colon. Uh, but we, you know, basic stuff. All of the, the stuff we talked about in the Vital 5 standpoint, omega-3 supplements, again, reducing that inflammation, Probiotics. Probiotics are going to be your biggest uh, help here because uh, when you have an inflamed gut, you have a microbiome that's kind of like out of, out of whack. There's a lot of data from the World Gastroenterology Organization that shows probiotics benefit in ulcerative colitis. So using the proper strains at high doses can help out. Thing We talked about protein in the Vital 5. So gelatin is actually what I would use instead of collagen because that has a more soothing effect to the lining of the gut. Um, uh, yeah, so like moving down that path uh, and using um, nutrition and risk management uh, as, uh, as well as other lifestyle factors and then some of those Vital 5 nutrients to start checking where you are and then revisiting. Remember, I'm not the charlatan that's saying take 10 supplements when you come see me the first time. Let's try a couple things, try some lifestyle stuff, see where you're at. And then in a week we can recheck, in two weeks we can recheck and then we can make modifications. Anybody else got any questions? Because I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna go to bed because I was up late watching Game of Thrones and doing this uh, whole thing. The podcast is 
at any time. It's an on-demand radio show. So if you go to your phone, and if you have an iPhone, they have a podcast app, and I believe Androids have it too. So, oh, let me do this. I'm going to talk about this. So if you see this, I know that's a little backwards, but the Business of Story podcast did a uh, show about me and a show about Woodstock vitamins and everything that we're building here. So I would definitely recommend the first podcast you listen to isn't, isn't even mine. It's, it's, it's Park Howells and it's Park Howells, the Business of Story podcast. And you want to listen to episode 194, how to create a healthy brand. Ah, I'm a healthy guy. So, and it's all about me and the business here. But uh, otherwise, if you visit and do a little search and type in Big Mouth, the Big Mouth Pharmacist hopefully will come up first because that's how awesome we are. And this is us. And you hit that subscribe button and it'll download all the episodes and then you can listen to them on demand. The current episode list, we talked about CBD with the founder of Project CBD. Uh, we talked about uh, the keto diet, fasting, paleo and raw. We talked about yoga and how it can be used to heal people. Uh, we've done so much fun stuff. So is it okay to take Woodstock allergy support on a continual basis? So again, the purist will say, don't take anything on a continual basis. That's a supplement. You always want to talk to your prescriber and you can mention it to them. So I believe that there are some people that require um, allergy support year long. And if you haven't yet, um, get our guide to spring. If you don't have it, I'll email it to you. So email me at neil at Woodstock Vitamins. I'm going to type that in here. I will send you my guide to spring, which talks about allergies and it talks about ticks and Lyme disease and all this other stuff. And it's a great resource. But um, so it's a uh, it's a natural product using uh, natural botanical remedies and some vitamins that um, supports allergies in a very, very efficient way, I believe. And um, the it is OK to use uh, regularly as again, as long as you're um, keeping an expert in the loop and you know, I have a good relationship and we uh, talk about this stuff. I could say, yes, uh, you can use that. And, and I personally do all the time, too, because of these dark circles that come from my allergies. All right, gang, I'm turning into a pumpkin. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. Take care now.